two decades. The award-winning Your Financial Editor program on 930 WFMD. News from the worlds of business and finance with your financial editor, Chris Murray. Good Saturday to you and welcome to another edition of the Your Financial Editor program right here on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com and also at Apple Podcast. Hope your weekend's going well. I am Chris Murray, your host. So glad to have you along for another program. It's a good one today, too. We have some interesting top stories, a little bit of earnings information from a very busy earnings week, some economic data, what's going on at the Fed, and also joining me in just a little bit, Mr. Shezad Quasi. He is the uh, uh, firm-wide operations lead. Uh, he oversees product innovation, client services, new business acquisition, and corporate strategy at the China Beige Book International. So we're going to get a deep dive into what's going on in China. We know they have property problems. They have some other issues. Growth slowed down. They've got some energy issues with their grid. They've had to really uh, double down on coal production to try to keep up. Uh, etc. So we're going to find out what's going on there uh, from a truly inside perspective uh, from the uh, China Beige Book. That's all coming up in just a little bit uh, with Mr. Quasi. And um, you look at some of the top stories, uh, obviously I'm not paving any new roads here talking about inflation because we know that it's just, uh, it's ravaging. And uh, unfortunately, it's uh, going to continue. Uh, Mr. John Katsimandatis, uh, he's a billionaire supermarket owner, and he's also in the energy business. This is a guy that's right in the thick of two of the things that are causing so much pain to the consumer right now. But uh, he basically said that food uh, giants like Nabisco and Pepsi and Coca-Cola are going to prioritize raising prices on certain products. He sees a 10% price increase in the next 60 days alone. Uh, This was uh, based on an interview he gave, and he doesn't see prices dropping or that trend changing anytime uh, soon. So he uh, cited rising inflation and supply chain bottlenecks that are currently plaguing supermarkets and other retailers around the United States. He then cautioned that he sees he sees uh, food prices going up tremendously was the word he used because food company CEOs want to be ahead of the curve. And the way they are doing it is they're dropping all promotions and they're dropping low moving items, focusing on the other um, more profitable products that they have and increasing those prices. Uh, Compared with one year ago, consumers are paying significantly more for goods and services. You know, we talked about that last week with the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, and the PPI, the Producer Price Index. That information was released from the Labor Department. Um, You know, you're seeing just from the Consumer Price Index, 5.4% year-over-year inflation, prices rising. And obviously, it depends on what you're talking about. That's just uh, one report and one average. Americans are paying about uh, 42 to 45 percent more on average for a gallon of gas in just a year ago. Um, You're also paying 10 and a half percent more for eggs, meat, poultry and fish, 4 percent more for coffee, 19 percent more for bacon. 6% more for peanut butter, 
27% more for propane, kerosene, and firewood, and over 5% more for electricity. Now, in um, his moment of brilliance, the uh, chief of staff to Biden last week retweeted a tweet that said, this is a high-class issue, or it's only impacting the well-off. Um, you couldn't have a more moronic statement than that. Uh, you can tell that these people are elitist. They uh, probably don't put fuel in their own vehicle. Uh, they don't care uh, how much it costs when they go to their swanky restaurants down in D.C. or their fancy uh, parties. And it's just heartless because obviously for the person, well, all of us, paying over 40 percent more for a gallon of gas in just a year ago, that's everybody. Last time I checked, it's just not the rich and famous, the caviar group that have vehicles they have to put fuel in. So who does it hurt the most? And then, of course, you look at the food. I don't think it's just the high class that eat. I think pretty much everybody eats, right? Otherwise, we die. So it was, like I said, moronic. Um, You can't fix that. Like, you can't fix stupid. And for the poor people out there, those living on fixed incomes, single moms, Some hard decisions are being made right now between medicine, food, how you get to work. Serious, serious decisions are being made, and that's who it hurts the most. Um, They just are so out of touch, it's unbelievable. And uh, like I said, unfortunately, a lot of people are saying it's going to continue, and I can guarantee you it will continue if they pass these uh, new spending bills, because there's already too much money supply sloshing around. That's what's causing a lot of this inflation. And if they pass these stupid bills and spend more money, it's going to get worse. And I'll remind you once again, even though I just did, it's going to hurt the poor. It's going to hurt the fixed income folks. It's going to hurt the single mom. So they should be ashamed of themselves because supposedly that's what's on their badge of honor is the people that they help and care about, but they don't. They're rich, they're detached, they're elitist, uh, they're in their own little party. They know better than you. They make decisions for you as far as they're concerned because that's the way it should be. One thing was good to see, online Christmas shopping sales are projected to notch a record-breaking $207 billion this year, according to Adobe. The projection, uh, excuse me, uh, projection, which uh, covers online shopping from November 1st to the end of December, shows a 10 percent increase from last year, according to the Adobe Digital Economy Index. And globally, the uh, it's projected that online spending is going to go up 11 percent. So uh, a lot of big money is going to be spent during Cyber Week. They're looking for about 36 billion on online goods, and then you have Cyber Monday is expected to drive the biggest single-day profits of about $11.3 billion in that one day alone. Then, of course, you have Black Friday is projected to drive $9.5 billion in profits. That's up 5% from where it was last year. 
And Thanksgiving is expected to pull in about $5.4 billion. That's a 6% increase. So people, you know, they want to spend, they're getting back, uh, and they have been getting back to their uh, their normal lives and uh, dismissing a lot of the nonsense that they're hearing and a lot of the scare tactics and uh, realizing it for what it is. And they're out there living their life and they're spending their hard-earned money um, and they're doing the things that they want to do. And um, that's proof because that's a serious number when you look at $207 billion in online sales alone. So something we're going to be talking about in just a little while with my guest, uh, Mr. Quasi, is um, the big company over in China, Evergrande. So the Evergrande Group is the second largest real estate uh, company from what I can tell. And uh, they formally dropped plans to sell a majority stake in their property services arm the middle of this week. And this would have netted Evergrande about $2.6 billion dollars. Uh, and so what happened is they're defaulting on, they're not making their payments that they're supposed to, to investors, bondholders, et cetera. So, um, they made an emergency payment a couple days ago. The talk is that's from the communist, uh, Chinese party because they don't want to see this thing fail because it wouldn't be good for them. It wouldn't be good for the communist party. And they already have, uh, other problems with, um, other real estate companies uh, that, that you know, again, that are out there that really aren't being talked about. I saw some of the names, uh, Cynic Holdings recently declared default, uh, Kaze Group saw its credit rating downgraded, China Properties Group defaulted on a loan, and the property developer Fantasia Holdings could not make recent payments. This is a problem. So the Chinese officials, the Communist Party, they're trying to figure out how involved they get. Um, you know, they I don't think they want to watch these companies uh, go into failure and bankruptcy because uh, it wouldn't look good for, you know, for their company or excuse me, for their country and for their leadership. So we'll talk about that in a little bit in more detail, really get some inside information on what's going on in China from Mr. Quasi. Uh, and then also, <coughs> big, big news this week for digital currencies. Uh, we saw Bitcoin hitting new highs, and that's because uh, we saw the first U.S. exchange-traded fund, or ETF, for the digital asset start trading. So uh, the crypto token touched uh, 63000 uh, over $63,000, and then it went over all the way up to 66000 in change um, to set a new record. And that's because – and it wasn't just Bitcoin, by the way. A number of its crypto cousins rallied after the Bitcoin ETF, which is run by a company called ProShares. And their ticker is B-I-T-O if you wanted to uh, research it and learn about it. But, uh, yeah, that launched on uh, – on Wednesday, and then they started, uh, and that was on the New York Stock Exchange. There was about, oh, I guess it was, well, if I remember right, about six hundred plus million dollars of activity uh, at least that first day, and almost all of the trades were relatively small. 
So uh, that was according to an ETF analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence that I was um, checking on. So that's a sign that the buying and selling was mostly coming from the retail investors, at least so far. So, again, the, um, you know, Main Street investors, not the big Wall Street institutions, uh, people wanting to get into that ETF and have some exposure to um, the digital currency. Um, Also... And this is just, this is scary. The uh, Biden administration is quietly advancing its agenda through regulation. So not just on, um, not just voting, but there was a little notice proposed rule last week by the Labor Department. We saw this in the Obama administration where they tried to manipulate things through the Labor Department. But anyway, it was introduced that will add new political directives to your retirement savings. How do you feel about that? Just another thing the government wants to get into. The administration says the rule will make it easier for retirement plans to offer 401k funds, uh, 403b funds, etc., focused on ESG. And if you don't know what that stands for, it's environmental, social, and governance objectives. In fact, the rule will coerce workers and businesses into supporting these progressive policies. So a couple years ago, an important Trump labor rule, re, it actually was just last year, uh, reinforced that the ERISA Act requires retirement plan fiduciaries to act solely in the interest of you, the participants. So if you invest in a fund, their job, is to make the best decisions they can to create, based on the risk of the fund, of course, that you signed up for, to create the best rate of return for you so your money is working as hard as possible. The rule that President Trump had was uh, preventing pension plans and asset managers from considering ESG factors like climate and workforce diversity and uh, political donations unless they had a material effect on the return and risk of an investment. In other words, don't mess around with stuff just because it's politically correct and it's going to help you and the people you like. Invest like you're supposed to and create the greatest rate of return based on the risk that's supposed to be taken. So this proposed rule makes clear that climate change and other ESG factors are often um, material, they're saying, And thus, in many instances, should be considered uh, in these 401k, 403b plans, etc. So this is stupid. Again, this is uh, overreach. This is government involvement. This is forcing you and coercing you into something that you may not want to have any part of and also may cause you to lose money, not make as much money. You know, an investor should have the full opportunity to choose their investment strategy, and that's it. Your money, you're paying these people to do something. They need to follow your direction. They need to follow your goals and how you feel about the investments you have. So here's a perfect example. They're going to put in these ESG, and they're already everywhere, by the way, just so you know. This has been going on for uh, the last couple decades started in unions, uh, teacher unions, et cetera, in New York City and other uh, terrible places. But anyway, 
so they're forcing these ESG plays, whether you want it or not. Guess what they don't allow or even talk about in these plans? Biblically responsible investing. It's very, very, very popular. You know, if you sit down and talk with the person and say, okay, here's what you're invested in, and this is how they're making their money, a lot of people find it offensive. And they don't want any part of that. They don't want their money supporting that. It's just like when the uh, Trump administration was saying, look, the TSP plan, the thrift savings plan and other government plans shouldn't be investing in companies that profited the Chinese military. And we'll talk about that in a little bit with my guests as well. But again, biblically responsible investing. There's tens of millions of people out there that care after they've earned their, you know, their money the hard way, working hard, diligent, honest. They don't want to support abortion or pornography or LBGTQ activism. They don't that's not that's not their lane. They don't want any part of that. But yet that's what they're forced into. Um, and they don't have an alternative that excludes those like a biblically responsible uh, investment. So this is very, very dangerous. It's um, it's just dirty, too. You can just feel it. It's slimy. You know, you feel like when you read these things and learn about them, you feel like you need to go take a shower because of the, the, the terrible people that are behind these uh, these pushes. And they try to make them sound fancy and, you know, it's the best thing since sliced bread. And they try to make you feel guilty if you don't support them. But, again, when you really get into it, you, you feel dirty. Um, so, yeah, a lot of earnings out this week. So far, so good. Uh, earnings have been coming in uh, better than expected for the most part. So that was good. Johnson & Johnson, Procter & Gamble, Travelers, you know, a lot of those in the uh, the Dow uh, you know, the Dow is composed of 30 stocks, and a lot of those came out this week, and they look pretty good. And that was after uh, last week when we saw the bank earnings come out. And, of course, the financials have been doing very well in this type of environment, again, because of all the money sloshing around. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, some economic data, what's going on at the Fed. There's a lot going on at the Fed, by the way. Uh, and then joining me in uh, just a little bit, Mr. Uh, Shezad uh, Kwasi. Uh, he is the managing director at the China Beige Book International Firm. And we're going to be talking about in depth what's going on uh, in China. So uh, stay tuned for that. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com and at Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for being with us uh, today. Appreciate it. Hope things are going well for you. Um, You know, as far as the data this week, there was a lot that had to do with um, the housing sector. Very important sector, of course, uh, of our economy. It's been very strong. We saw Home builder confidence rise for a second month in October as strong consumer demand helped offset 
those rising material prices and shortages that we have been talking about. So the National Association of Home Builders, their housing market index this month rose four points to a reading of 80. That was more than what analysts were looking for. Uh, That's a strong number, 80, by the way. It goes from zero to 100. So uh, 80 signals strong demand out there. So, again, even though they're uh, they're dealing with these um, uh, ongoing supply chain disruptions, you've got labor shortages uh, and all that is causing a delay in completion times. um, These home builders are still putting their shoulder to the wheel and uh, being optimistic and trying to get as much done as they possibly can. I mean, let's not, you know, look, they're making hay while sun's shining too because uh, it's just a great market for them. Um, home building slowed a little bit in uh, September, 1.6% when you look at housing starts. They were down, and what was worse was uh, – Building permits, they were down 7.7%. So that's, of course, what we're looking at as far as what's in the pipeline. You definitely want to see more, uh, not just what's happening right now, but also, you know, what is going to be uh, sprouting out of the ground in months to come. Existing home sales, they rebounded. So that was good to see. They were back up in September. They got a little more inventory on the market. Existing home sales were up 7% from the previous month, according to the National Association of Realtors. Actually, it's about double what they were expecting. So um, uh, analysts were expecting. So, um, you know, it was it was a pretty solid report. Medi- the median existing home price for all types of uh, housing was uh, $352,800. That was up over 13% from a year ago in September. Uh, so solid there. And it didn't matter where you looked. Uh, all the regions of the country saw sales increase. The South, the West, Northeast, Midwest. So that was really good to see. We also saw that uh, first-time filings for unemployment claims totaled 290,000 last week. So that was good. Uh, it was below the $300,000 mark that a lot of people were uh, have been looking for. Um, I just want to put, I mean, hold your applause. Is That's what I should say. So 290,000 people filed for first-time jobless claims. Before the virus came, we were at 212,000. So that number that everybody says is fantastic is just about 37% higher still than when the virus first came here. So, um, like I said, hold your applause because we are off tremendously. Box office receipts at the movies still down over 27.5% in um, for this month compared to where they were in 2019 before the virus came. Hotel occupancy down 10. TSA checkpoint data down 22%. Global commercial flights are still down almost 19%. You know, this is there's a lot of work to be done and we need to get get after it, get back to work and um, get all these politics out of the way and move forward. As far as the Federal Reserve, Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell sold up to five million dollars worth of stock from his personal account last October a sale that occurred shortly before the Dow Jones Industrial Average went down about 6% for the month. 
So that follows uh, two recent revelations that uh, caused two bank presidents to resign. Robert Kaplan from the uh, Federal Reserve Bank in Dallas and Eric Rosengren, the president of the Federal Reserve Federal Reserve Bank of Boston, uh, they both bought and sold stocks and real estate uh, when all this stuff was going on. I don't think they did anything intentionally, probably. I don't think they'd be that stupid. Um, I think you really have to wonder if this is uh, a little bit of a political assassination, especially on PAL. You've got um, Elizabeth Warren out there with her pom-poms saying that the Federal Reserve chair is terrible, just like she does with Wells Fargo and other banks that she wants to break everybody up and, you know, give her little rah-rah speech. Unfortunately, she's in a district just like a lot of us where, um, you know, the wrong people keep getting reelected. But uh, anyway, I, I, I really just don't think, I mean, I know Powell could be doing a better job. I think he's becoming a lapdog for, um, for Biden so he can try to be reappointed in uh in February, I uh, I think that's becoming more and more of a long shot, which is a shame because whoever they put in, we see these appointments, you know, with Department of Transportation and all these other Department of Energy. I mean, they're just epic failures um, and excuse makers, and they're just towing that uh, progressive uh, line to um, – to do things the way they want to do them, and it's hurting the country. By the way, uh, what we saw also this week was the Beige Book that came from the Federal Reserve, and it showed in the Beige Book that businesses have reported that these vaccine mandates have hurt employment and they're contributing to labor supply problems. And that was even before Biden's uh announcement of these uh, mandates for private businesses before they go into effect. So uh, this is going to be a train wreck. You can see that coming for sure. Uh, Go to murrayfinancialgroup.com, our latest complimentary white paper, Inflation and Your Retirement. Are you prepared for rising costs? It's a nice read. Some key takeaways in there for you. Go to murrayfinancialgroup.com. It's on the homepage. Just click it, and you get an immediate uh, download to your email. Enjoy it. We did it for you, so, you know, it it will be helpful, and you can benefit from it. Um, That's what we're here for. And joining me on the other side of this break is going to be my guest, Mr. Shehzad Kwasi from the China Facebook International Group. So looking forward to getting insider information as to what's going on in China. Editor with Chris Murray on 930 WFMD. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com and also at Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for being with us uh, today. Appreciate it. 
Hope things are going well for you. If you're just joining the program for the second half hour, uh, perfect timing. We're getting ready to jump into our conversation with my guest this morning, Mr. Shahzad Kwazi. Um, He is the managing director at China Beige Book International. He oversees product innovation, client services, new business acquisition, and corporate strategy. Uh, and uh, he, you've probably seen him on TV, uh, on the business channels, uh, read his uh, material in Wall Street Journal or Barron's, and also he speaks at investor conferences. Uh, he received his MA in international relations from New York University and a BA in international studies from Indiana uh, University. And he's also a an, an elected member of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations, and that's what we're going to be talking about today, learning kind of firsthand, getting some inside inside information as to uh, what's going on in China these days and how it uh, potentially can impact Americans and our economy, our financial markets, etc. Good morning, Shahzad. How are you? Doing well. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for taking the time to uh, to join us. Appreciate it. So I guess let's just start out and uh, educate our listeners on what uh, China China Beige Book International is and what you guys do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we started China Beige Book uh, over a decade ago at this point, and the idea was pretty straightforward in some ways. We looked at the market and realized that everybody – from Wall Street to private investors to major institutional asset managers, everyone was reliant on official Chinese data to understand what was going on uh, inside the Chinese economy. Now, Chinese data, as we all know, are notoriously unreliable. They lag. They are revised pretty severely. They suffer from various statistical practices, which are not at least very common out there in, in Western economies. And we felt that there was a real need to create a firm that went to China and actually collected data uh, privately, uh, had its own proprietary data um, that was more reliable in nature and helped us understand what was really going on on the ground. Um, And 10 years later, here we are. We've been doing China Facebook, the data series, is well over a decade, of course, uh, long at this point. Um, And over the last 10 years, I have to tell you, it's been quite fascinating uh, watching the Chinese economy with this with this insider's look, uh, because you realize that not only did you pick up trends well ahead of what official data tell you, but you really walk away from insights and viewpoints which at times are drastically different from what the mainstream consensus might be on Wall Street uh, or what markets might be anticipating. Yeah, so, and that is that is very interesting. Number one, I think what jumps out at me is that you're allowed to do that by, uh, you know, the, the Chinese Communist Party allows you uh, to have boots on the ground and basically collect that data. Well, you know, one of the things that uh, we've always done is we are not there to be China bears. We're not there to be China bulls. We don't have a preset position that we're trying to prove. Uh, which is not often the case with a lot of research shops or a lot of uh, economic strategists. Um, We are out there in the business of collecting data as objectively as possible and interpreting the data as objectively as possible. And what that means is that there are instances where our data suggests that things on the ground, conditions on the ground, are not nearly as positive as uh, official Chinese data may make it seem. There are certainly other instances 
where our data actually have said, hang on, things are not nearly as bad. The sky isn't falling, even though uh, consensus on, again, consensus within the market may suggest so. But right now, actually, is absolutely one of those times. So I think uh, the powers that be have seen what China did for so over the years and probably actually come to respect and appreciate the role that we play uh, in, in, in broader financial markets uh, than be concerned about what we do. Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. That's and that's good. That's the way they should be uh, uh, viewing uh, your organization. I would think because, like you said, if you're calling balls and strikes and being fair about what's uh, what's going on, I don't know. You know why they would be upset about that. So uh, that's that's good news to hear. Give us kind of the thirty thousand square or thirty thousand feet view of um, what their economy looks like in China right now. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, right now, of course, if you pick up the paper and everybody is obsessed with what's happening with Evergrande and the crisis and the fear that there might be a human moment or uh, a broad-based contagion, uh, which will lead to another financial crisis. And that's the prison uh, through which almost everyone is looking at the Chinese economy. Um, and beyond that, of course, uh, for months and months, we've also been hearing, again, from a lot of street research, uh, that the Chinese economy is actually in deep trouble because you know we're not seeing the type of consumer-driven growth that we were all expecting. Um, there have been a lot of forecasts about uh, the Chinese government stepping in and providing big bank stimulus, uh, loosening the credit spigots. Um, almost all of those viewpoints are more or less inaccurate and pretty much wrong. Um, you know, right now, yes. We're seeing a sector crisis happen within property. Evergrande is not an isolation. Evergrande, as a matter of fact, is the tip of the iceberg. Um, but what's going on is uh, we're seeing the property sector as a whole in trouble right now. And we've been talking about this since uh, the summer, since August, so forth. Uh, you know, we're seeing both the construction and developer side, the realty side downstream, I kind of suffer across the board, whether it's their sales, whether it's their revenues, whether it's their profitability. Um, they are seeing some pretty hard times. Um, one of the most interesting things we're seeing is that because of this crunch, if you will, uh, we're seeing a lot of property firms um, needing and in desperate need of credit. Uh, they're being shut out of the mainstream channels through banks and so forth. Um, so we're seeing more and more property firms actually turn to non-bank financing, to shadow lenders, uh, to access credit, to sort of plug the holes or plug the gap, if you will. Uh, but you're seeing a property distress story. However, that is not a systemic problem in China right now. And that's very important to understand. The idea that somehow you're going to get contagion within the broader Chinese economy doesn't work because the Chinese financial system is not like Western financial systems. You're looking at a non-commercial financial system, and you're looking at the fact that the Chinese government is able to step in um, and remedy a lot of these issues. And we can talk about that in more detail, of course, along the way. But I want to really make sure your audience understands here that we're looking at a property sector distress story, not a systemic story. Pull back to the 30,000 foot view further from there. The economy is absolutely slowing down. The parts of the economy that are slowing down were predictable, at least to us. You haven't seen the type of consumption uh, uh, pullback or a rebound, rather, that, that, that a lot of people were expecting. Um, manufacturing has essentially peaked. That said, however, if you look at things like employment, which is incredibly important to the Chinese Communist Party, if you look at parts of the services sector, you see the economy actually um, pulling on. 
Um, so our, our view is that, yes, whereas economic conditions are nowhere near as amazing or as powerful as, you know, almost a year ago everyone said they would be, um, things are still not altogether horrible. Terms of things are not altogether bad. And this is not a widespread crisis story in China right now. Um, and by the way, that is why you're not seeing the Chinese government step in and, and loosen monetary conditions at this point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, that makes total sense. Uh, and, and I appreciate you sharing um, because there has been a lot of talk. I've seen a lot of headlines the last uh, few weeks about uh, is Evergrande the next Lehman Brothers, you know, talking about that systemic uh, risk and the failure uh, that we experienced with our um, our financial services sector and the banking and, you know, the, the then again, the homes, et cetera. So I think that helps people a lot for sure. And what we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with my guest this morning, Mr. Mr. Shazad Kwasi uh, from the China Beige Book International uh, firm. And we'll talk a little bit more. You know, they've had some problems with energy, uh, some energy issues over there lately. We'll get his impact on that. Um, what's going on with the uh, Chinese Communist Party as far as uh, Hong Kong and Taiwan and what, you know, their interest may be there. So make sure you stay tuned. We'll be back in just a minute. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Caught in a landslide. No escape from reality. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And of course, as a podcast at Apple Podcasts, you can check it out there and re-listen to it, share it with those you think might benefit from it. Appreciate you being with us uh, for this program. And uh, we're wrapping up our uh, conversation with my guest this morning, Mr. Uh, Shazad Kwasi. He's the managing director at China Beige Book International. Uh, you've probably seen him on TV, uh, read his stuff in uh, Barron's and other publications. He uh, has his M.A. from uh, in international relations from NYU and also a B.A. in international studies from Indiana University. And he's an elected member of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations. And... Um, you know, Shazad, I was talking right before the break there. We have heard some stuff going on over in China about some energy uh, problems and issues. Do you know what's going on there? Yeah, so this is one other major um, <clears throat> crisis uh, that the Chinese economy is facing at, at the present moment with um, supply cuts and electricity cuts that are taking place. Uh, and, you know, the impact is, of course, twofold. The, the most obvious impact that we're going to see is going to have to be on the, it's going to be on the manufacturing sector. Um, if, if you are a factory and you're struggling with uncertain power supply, or if more importantly, you're losing power several times a week, uh, that will inevitably impact your ability uh, to produce, your ability to fulfill orders that you've already taken on. Um, so we talk about a supply chain crisis today almost every day. Um, well, this power situation, the power crunch in China, the supply crisis will most certainly add on to those pressures. Uh, that also, of course, plays into the broader commodities markets for commodities traders. 
On the upside, of course, now we're seeing that China is starting to ramp up coal production because coal is one of the main ways it supplies its power or, or energy to the country. Uh, but for the moment, of course, all other commodities, steel and aluminum and so forth, are all suffering because of the, uh, uh, the decline in production that is happening, the slowdown in production, I can say, that's happening because of the power supply crunch. Uh, so this is, of course, a very, this is going to be a very important macroeconomic theme uh, going into the end of the year, probably with impacts being seen in the early part of next year. We're going to have brand new data out for October uh, just in the middle of next week uh, or near the end of next week. Uh, so we will see the, the earliest impact on economic performance from the power crunch within China-based data in, in a matter of a week or so. Okay, great. And I want to let our listeners know you can go to ChinaBeigeBook.com and see uh, a lot of really good, solid information and learn more about uh, the organization um, and uh, the the people, uh, you know, the players there, like uh, my guest this morning, Mr. Shazad Kwasi. So the other thing I'll touch on real quick before we wrap things up, uh, military, uh, obviously, um, we always hear and are teased with uh, various things going on with the Chinese military. Um, we saw the crackdown in Hong Kong, uh, a lot of uh, uh, chatter now about Taiwan. Uh, what's the, uh, the current status of the Chinese military? Look, I think, um, you know, for, for perhaps good reasons, especially seeing, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we saw a rather massive um, air, air exercise being uh, uh, taken place by the PRC when it comes to Taiwan, when it flew in about 56 jets or something to that effect. Uh, so people are naturally concerned about Chinese military maneuvers uh, in and around Taiwan uh, and, of course, you know, in other parts of uh, uh, China Sea and so forth. Uh, I think we need to pull back and look at what's really going on within China first. And what you're seeing right now is that the president, Xi Jinping, the Chinese Communist Party, they are firstly and foremost concerned with a lot of issues happening domestically that could be a reason for instability. Uh, the whole focus on common prosperity, uh, the corrective measures that now need to take place vis-a-vis -vis the oversized power that Chinese tech firms have, have, have accomplished uh, within the country, the various issues with inequality as, as they relate to education, as they relate to other sectors, um, are the parts of national life. I think the focus right now is on fixing the domestic socioeconomic issues, the wealth gap. Uh, the Chinese government isn't even focused, for example, on really just prodding growth, right? Those days of 8% growth year after year are essentially over. There is a paradigm shift that is taking place, which is almost exclusively about how do we fix things, uh, you know, internally, uh, within the country, and I think that actually impacts how, how the Chinese government behaves externally or, or even vis-a-vis -vis Taiwan. Uh, so, you know, I don't foresee uh, at this present time a heightened risk of, of a Chinese attack on Taiwan or an invasion of Taiwan. Uh, I think a lot of that gets a lot more play than perhaps it should. Uh, the focus really right now is internal. We've got the Beijing Olympics coming up early next year. We've got the big party congress coming up in almost about a year from now where everybody expects uh, Xi Jinping to get a unprecedented third term. There's a lot happening inside China uh, to where the escalation of a Taiwan conflict uh, seems a, a little bit low probability at this, at this stage. Very interesting. Yeah, it, it, that makes a lot of sense, too, about, like you said, with the Olympics and then with their Congress and him wanting to smooth the waters as most uh, you know politicians would 
to try to uh, retain that control that he has. My guest this morning has been Mr. Shazad Kwasi. And again, you can go to ChinaBeigeBook.com and check out all the work they do and uh, read more about Shazad and the other uh, leaders at China Beige Book. And there's a lot of really good information. Again, if you just want to be educated um, with fact and and reason, let, those are the kind of people, as you know, that we have on our program here and we have for the last uh, almost 24 years. And um, that's why we're still around, I think. So, Shazad, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to uh, share with our listeners. I hope to talk to you down the road. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And uh, that does it uh, for us. We're uh, out of time for uh, this program. Thank you for being part of it, as always. Uh, We'll be back here next uh, Saturday for another edition of the Your Financial Editor program. Also, uh, catch us on uh, weekday mornings, the Morning News Express with Bob Miller and Ryan Hedrick at 5.50, 6.50, 7.50 a.m., where uh, we're giving live uh, business updates. And um, also wanted to remind you the the latest uh, white paper we have for you. It's uh, it's uh, complimentary. Go to murrayfinancialgroup.com, and uh, it's right on the home page. You just click it, and it's an immediate download. Inflation and your retirement Are you prepared for rising costs? Because we sure are dealing with them. And uh, if you caught the first part of the program, I was telling you about the billionaire um, uh, fellow that's in the food business and the energy energy business. He's looking for another 10 percent right around the corner and he doesn't see the problem going away. Uh, anytime soon, and it's just going to continue to be a tremendous problem. So again, uh, inflation and your retirement, are you prepared for rising costs? Go to murrayfinancialgroup.com. It's right on the homepage there. Click for your instant download. It's complimentary, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. And of course, you know, that's why we do it again, to be helpful. And uh, that's why we bring this information to you as well. So enjoy the rest of your weekend. This is Chris Murray wishing you and your family financial success. editions of this program are available in the audio vault at wfmd.com. News Radio 930. WFMD Frederick. A connoisseur media radio station. 7 o'clock.